Good morning, Renew. Our scripture passage comes from the book of Acts, chapter 15, verses 5 through 21, from the New International Version. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to the to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that the, he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the, on the necks of Gentiles a joke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are safe, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and is read in synagogues on every Sabbath. Thank you for reading our scripture passage for today, and again, that was Acts 15 verse 5 through 21 in the NIV version, Acts 15, 5 through 21. And we continue in our Book of Acts series, the Spirit-infused multi-ethnic church. And this is a loving scripture um, series from Renew. Um, but before we get started, I'm going to uh, lift up a word in prayer. God, thank you so much uh, for who you are and that you are king and that you are sovereign and that you're powerful and in control and that you consider the prayers of your people, that you hear the cries of um, the poor, the weak, the hurting, and the suffering, and you see everything that's going on in our lives, and you have care for that. You have compassion and consideration for what we're going through. And uh, many of us may be feeling anxiety. Many of us may be uh, feeling low. Um, um, it's been a hard 2020. Uh, we've gone through a hard, election season um, and, uh, and uh, uh, the coronavirus. Uh, 
has been difficult, uh, but in the midst of all of this, we declare that you are Lord, and we've come to hear from your word, um, to worship you, and to lift up our supplications to you. Please hear our prayers, and may your Holy Spirit fill our hearts as we uh, sit at your feet um, and and uh, learn from your word, which is live, alive and breathing and uh, God-inspired. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So we pick up our story in Acts here in chapter 15, sometime after uh, the missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas in Asia Minor. And after their journey, they return back to uh, the church in Antioch. And we learn in uh, uh, verse 1 that certain people uh, come from Judea, come from Jerusalem to Antioch, and they begin to teach about the necessity of circumcision. As we know, in Antioch and in Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey, many Gentiles were coming to the faith. And the word is spreading. The word is spreading not only about the church of Antioch and the amazing things uh, that happened there, but also uh, stories and testimonies of uh, Gentiles coming to the faith, hundreds and hundreds and thousands um, from Paul and Barnabas' journeys in Asia Minor. So these people coming from Jerusalem begin to teach. After hearing of these conversions, they're like, wait a second. Unless you are circumcised, it says in verse 1. Unless you're circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. You can't be saved. So there's a little uh, meshing of Ju uh, Mosaic law and traditions of Judaism with uh, the salvation message um, found in Jesus Christ. They're saying, in order to be saved in Jesus Christ, you have to be circumcised. These Judaizers, these people that are coming from uh, Jerusalem, were possibly Pharisees. So... They were Jews who were Pharisees who had converted to Christianity uh, and now they're wishing that all Christians um, submit to the law of Moses. And we have to realize that Christianity wasn't a new religion. And we've said this before. I've said this before. It's not a new religion, but it's Jewish. Uh, it's the fulfillment. People who are beginning to follow uh, Jesus Christ in the way uh, see um, the way as a fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures, right? The Jewish prophecies that a Messiah would come. And they believe that Jesus, they believe that Jesus Christ was this Messiah. So they're not, this is not a separate religion that's forming from scratch, but it's a fulfillment of Judaism for them. And so naturally the synagogues are still the context in which scripture is being read temple is still an important place um, and the law of Moses and the customs and traditions and the rites, um, the dietary laws, um, the, the religious festivals, the rituals, all of those things are still important. And so these men that are coming from Jerusalem down, so in the, in the New Testament when they say down, it doesn't mean, we think of south, south is down, but Antioch is actually north of Jerusalem, but elevation-wise, 
Jerusalem was on a higher elevation. So when they're traveling from Jerusalem to Antioch, they're going down to Antioch. So anyways, good little geography and history there. But they, as their journey down to Antioch, um, they're making sure right, that these uh, Gentiles that have converted into uh, the faith understand the, uh, and submit to the teachings and customs of Moses. So as they're in the church of Antioch teaching these things, it gets the ire of Paul and Barnabas, right? And Paul, it says that Paul and Barnabas come in sharp disagreement and begin to argue uh, with these men. And soon after that, the church at Antioch decide to send Paul and Barnabas as emissaries back to the Council of Jerusalem, back to the church at Jerusalem to figure out what's up with this. Because if you remember, uh, you would think that this issue was settled uh, with the conversion of Cornelius because the same debate was brought up in Jerusalem after Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and his household and his servants became Christians. Um, people wondered um, if this was acceptable. And it was determined then that the Holy Spirit had baptized them. The Holy Spirit was uh, doing amazing things and Gentiles were coming to the faith. And that was a determining factor, like God was in this. And, but it seems like um, this conflict, this question is rising up again. And so uh, Paul and Barnabas go journey to Jerusalem to figure out what's going on and get an official uh, word about this. But conflict, I wanna talk a little bit about conflict and uh, disunity and differing ideas, differing viewpoints, differing opinions, um, because that seems to be a very live thing um, in our society right now, in our culture, in the US, in this election season, in politics, and even um, in the church, that it seems that um, more and more, uh, we are more made more aware of divisiveness in our nation, of disunity in our nation, of uh, polarizing viewpoints, polarizing, polarized tribes. And uh, it seems like um, it's really hard to have any discussions on social media or even with our family members, or our friends or our neighbors um, about certain topics without coming into sharp disagreement. And we all know and we all joke about the holidays going back to Thanksgiving. Uh, maybe we're gonna hide behind COVID-19 as an excuse not to go gather for Thanksgiving because we're really afraid of talking about politics or talking about religion or talking about uh, social issues um, at the table because it's gonna bring up conflict. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this in my own life and thinking about this with my family and how, you know, we've agreed to not discuss certain topics, uh, especially like presidential races or politics, um, in order to keep the peace and just discussing that with my wife, how uh, there's some th certain things we don't want to talk about with family or certain friends um, because we want to avoid uh, conflict. Um, but I was thinking about the phrase preaching to the choir. You know, when I say, oh, I talk to the, uh, I'm, ta I'm preaching to the choir right now. Um, that means, you know, 
I'm not preaching, I'm not speaking to anyone who is disagreeing with me right now. I'm only speaking to people who agree with me. So that comes from the image of a pastor preaching, right? And he turns around and he starts preaching to the choir in a traditional church. The choir is behind the pastor and they're all faithful people. They're all churchgoers. They all support the pastor and they all agree with the pastor. So when I, when I say I'm preaching to the choir, I say I'm only talking to people who agree with me. And sometimes I feel like we can find a comfort zone in that place where we surround ourselves with our own personal choirs. We only talk or share or interact with people who agree with us, who share the very same exact opinions, the very same political stance, or share the same socioeconomic situation, status as ourselves. Only birds of a feather tend to flock together. And the problem with that, I think, is when you are uh, making a habit of eliminating conflict or difference of opinion in your life, you also eliminate growth and challenge, right? You also eliminate um, the possibility of having truth reflected back to you and being challenged in your opinions or challenged in your stances or challenged in the things, the directions or the actions that you're doing because you only have people who say yes to you or agree with you or who support you. But growth change, transformation, I believe, comes with tension, comes in conflict. And what we see here in the early church is, right, you see a, the prominent mother church of Jerusalem, right, and also to the north, Antioch, a second church that has prominence and that's sending out missionaries and that's growing in influence, but is mostly Gentile, right? Here is mostly Jew. And it would be really easy, right? For Antioch to be like, forget those people. They're trying to put on a yoke on us. They, they're trying to make us change our cultural identity, change who we are. They're making us jump through hoops in order to be saved, in order to follow Jesus, in order to be righteous. We're bigger than them. We have more money with them. We sent them money. Let's just break off. We'll be the church of the north, right? We'll do our own thing. And it'd be easy for Jerusalem to stand on its history, its tradition, and its purity and say, hey, we're the mama church. Get with the program or get out. Or to say, we declare that church not a true church, right? They're not true followers of Jesus. And so there can, be, there can be a splitting, right? A separating. And we know the history of the church is filled with cat schisms, right? And conflict and breaking apart. And we, many of us who grew up in the church maybe grew disillusioned with conflicts within the church, how churches deal with conflict or the splitting of churches or, you know, church scandals or leaders who uh, left or people that we cared about leaving. 
um, in the Korean church in the U.S., the immigrant Korean church I grew up in was notorious for church splits, right? A hundred-person church were split into two, 50, 50, uh, two churches of 50 people, right? And then these 50-people churches would split into 25-member churches, and those would split and split and fracture and fracture. Uh, and all the while, the people who suffered were the kids, because the kids didn't care, the youth didn't care. We like each other. We like hanging. Why are our parents fighting and yelling at each other? Right? This is church. This is about Jesus. Right? And so, um, Korean church is notorious uh, for splitting. Right? We disagree. Uh, it's irreconcilable. So, we're going to separate. And we're, we'll follow a that leader. And we'll, we'll follow that leader. But what we see here is the Antioch church sending Paul and Barnabas and saying, hey, let's get this right, you know? Let's figure this out because we know what God and the Holy Spirit is doing, amazing things. Paul and Barnabas just came back and they're telling stories and stories and stories of this powerful ministry and people coming to Jesus Christ left and right, left and right. And yet here are these people from Jerusalem telling us that we can't be saved unless we're circumcised. And yet, in Scripture, we do read about the covenant of circumcision. And so, what, what, what is the answer? Right? Tradition and law and maintaining that. Or this kind of newness, this fresh, this fresh movement. What's happening? What is God doing? Where is the power? Where are we experiencing good news? And so, I think that is a... It, is a tension but instead of avoiding that tension right the church comes together in in our passage we see that paul and barnabas come right and the and the all of the be believers who belong to the party of the pharisees again pharisees who converted to christianity stood up and said the gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses, And then in verse 6, we read that the apostles and elders met to consider this question, right? Here's the church organizing and having meetings to discuss. Imagine it's like a leadership meeting, right? The, the apostles are like the bishops. Maybe it's more like the apostles are the bishops and the, the elders are the pastors, right? Like the church is coming together. And they're discussing this, and Peter gets up and addresses them. Brothers, don't you remember? God has already made a choice among the Gentiles. Right? Look at Paul right here. Paul was a Pharisee himself. Right? And he is, he's ministering among the Gentiles. And we know that God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them. We have the evidence of the Holy Spirit. We know that God looks at the heart of a person, not in the outside of the person. And we know that God doesn't show favoritism. This is what Peter's, this is the lesson that Peter learned, right? He did not discriminate between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. We have the evidence. 
We see what God is doing. Let us not deny this. Didn't we see this? And he turns to a theological reason, reasoning from this, of this. Bringing up Jesus and Jesus' own words, right? Why do we put on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Right? Even our people, we couldn't bear the burden of the law. Right? That's why Jesus came. It's the, it's the new covenant of grace. That salvation is the power of Jesus Christ in us and for us. Not our ability, not a meritocracy, not our ability to follow the law out of our own strength and power. Right? This is Peter's argument. And so as Peter is arguing this, like, and saying the yoke, talking about the image of the yoke, right? A yoke would be something that's put on oxen, you know, to, to pull a cart. And if you remember, Jesus in Matthew says, take my yoke upon you, right? Why? Because my burden is light. My yoke is light. My burden is light. It's not something that takes away freedom, right, and enslaves you. But actually my yoke, I guide you with my yoke, but it's light, it's there to give you freedom. And what an awesome image, right? There's guidance, right? We are guided by a yoke, the yoke of Christ, but this isn't a heavy burden, right? That makes us feel like we're in death, that takes away our freedom, but it actually guides us to more freedom, to fuller life. And that is the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is the grace and love and compassion of Jesus Christ that sets us free. That's why we say good news, amen? So why are we trying to put heavy rules and laws that we couldn't even live under on these Gentiles? who if, with joy are giving their lives to follow Jesus Christ. Why would we do that? It's like that person, the Debbie Downer. Everyone's ha laughing and eating at a party in a house and music is playing. Yeah, and everyone's having a good time and the one person comes out and says, I'm trying to get some sleep. Can you guys shut the music down? It's too loud in here. And everyone's like, Ew. right? Party pooper! Why are we being party poopers? Why are we putting our own burdens on people? Why are we putting our own traditions on people? Why are we putting our own culture on people? Because actually that's keeping people from experiencing the joy that is in Jesus Christ. We're bodyguarding for God. We're saying, oh, you can't come to God unless you live this way. Oh, you can't come to God unless you do this thing. Oh, you can't. We've always done things this way. You have to do it this way in order to do it right. Why are we bodyguarding from God when this whole time we see that Jesus is like, let them come to me. Remember when the disciples were stopping the children. Oh, hey kids, 
Stay away from Jesus. Don't touch Jesus. Stop grabbing his robe. No trick-or-treat time for the kids. Right? Jesus is tired. He's got serious work to do. Right? He, he's too busy for you little kids. You little runts. Get away from Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, he chastises them. He says, let the children come to me. And that's the God we follow. That's the God we serve. That's the God who loves us. Not a God who's about putting up obstacles and hurdles and blockades and tests to make it as hard as possible. If you pass that American Ninja Warrior obstacle course, then I'll love you. Then you can be my follower. Only if you pass the test, the hardest test ever, then my grace will be for you. My inheritance will be for you. You can be in my family. No! We have a God that will hunt us down even when we're running, even when we're hiding. God will chase us down because he loves us. He'll leave the 99 to find the one, to find you, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, what your lifestyle is, what you look like, how you dress, your past, the crimes you've committed, what you've drank, what you've injected in yourself, who you've been with. That doesn't matter to God. God wants you and he's coming. And that's the very heart of the incarnation. That's the very heart of sending Jesus to be a person to die for us. Is God bungee cord jumping. God going all out coming to us on our turf. And God is willing to go on your turf to be with you unconditionally. Yes, when we accept, when you follow Jesus and receive Jesus and say, Jesus is Lord of my life, he's going to do some work in you. He's going to say, oh, that thing, that's hurting you. You need to take that away from your life. The Holy Spirit will do some work and surgery in your life. No doubt. You'll be challenged. But that's not the starting point. Right? It's not clean yourself up, fix yourself up, and look shiny, and then God will accept you. God loves you as you are. Let him hold you. He doesn't show favoritism. And so if God doesn't put heavy burdens on people, then God has open access, offers access to his love, to his grace, to his throne, then we as the church and as people and as his followers should definitely not make it more difficult than necessary because we're stingy for other people to have access. And that's the spirit-infused multi-ethnic church, right? We're all about getting out of the way of the spirit to allow people to come sit at the Now, I'm not saying anything goes, ah, wild living, right? I'm saying, don't 
work overtime to put things in the way of people. And this is what's happening. And the second thing that's happening is, like I was starting with my analogy of preaching to the choir, is in the spirit-infused multi-ethnic church, we are a church of difference, right? Most, most people and most communities and most groups end up being a collection of people who are alike because we avoid conflict, we avoid differences of opinion. And especially in our culture today, it's hard to have true dialogue with people who have different opinions than us, right? We either ghost people or we shame people, right? And say, oh, you're in that camp, go away. But I think, um, if anything, we need to get in the messiness of each other's lives and, and be willing to stay committed into relationship with one another even if things are hard, even if there's disagreement, we're saying what holds us together is Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And saying, even though we disagree, even though things are hard between me and you, I'm committed to being your brother, being your sister. I'm committed to community with you, right? What happened at Pentecost in Acts chapter two? It wasn't everybody heard in one language and they understood one language and everyone came and was the same together. Woo! It's like, woo! Everyone's wearing Nikes, right? This is my peeps. We're all people of Nikes. And anyone who, who had Adidas on, Adidas shoes, they were like, oh, that's not for me. Right? Actually, the image of Pentecost is some people had Nikes, Reeboks, Adidas, whatever, whatever shoes, and they all were like, woo, we're people of the shoes. We're people of the shoes. Maybe that analogy doesn't even help you or make sense, right? People understood in their own language. Different languages were brought together, right? Usually different languages separate people, right? But different languages in Pentecost brought people together. So in the spirit-infused multi-ethnic church, the character of that church, of a spirit-filled church, is not that we're held together because we think the same way, we believe the same things, we have the same opinions, we think uh, to be good Christians means doing this and this and this in the same exact ways. You make the same money, you have the same level of education, you drive a pretty good car like me, you, you know, you have this or you have that, you're Asian or you're white or you're black, you're Hispanic. No, a spirit-infused multi-ethnic church is like what happened at Pentecost. People who are different from different places, who understand different languages, who have different heart languages, who have different loves, are brought together because of a miracle. <coughs> are brought together because of a miracle. Amen? The miracle of the Holy Spirit. And here we have 
and Acts 15, right? The apostles gather, the elders gather, then they present it to the congregation, the congregation gathers, right? I heard one commentator say it's almost like every, uh, every uh, form of church polity, right? The Episcopal, the Presbyterian, and the Congregational, right? The local church, or uh, the Episcopal is the bishop, bishop controlled, right? Or the Presbyterian, like the, pres the assembly, right? And they're working it out. They're having meetings, and they're wrestling with this idea of what do we do with all these different people that are starting to come to the faith, and yet I, like, what's the line? Like, what's the non-negotiables? And what's acceptable? Like, my world is being turned upside down. If you're in the Jerusalem church, like, this is what I'm used to. And, and yet, God is working with those people. And it's different. It looks different. It smells different. They eat different types of food. Right? They're physically different. And I, I was raised to believe in this covenant. Like, ah, and what are those things for us? What are those things for us? Oh, if you're a Christian, you don't smoke. If you're a Christian, you don't drink. If you're a Christian, right, um, you're, you're baptized when you're old enough. To make a decision. When you're a Christian, you're baptized as an infant. When you're a Christian, uh, you sing these types of songs. And the pastor dresses in this kind of way and has this kind of authority. No, when you're a Christian, you call your pastor by their first name, right? And you, you you have drums and bass and electric guitar in your worship, right? When you're a Christian, you don't talk that way. You don't cuss or say these things. No, when you're, when you're a Christian, you have freedom, right? I hang out in bars and do, you know, witness to people in the bars or whatever. What is it for us? Like, what are our, what are our lines? You might not have it written down, but you know, it really challenges you when you see someone who follows Jesus, but their behavior is this way, or their lifestyle is this way, or they believe in this sort of stuff. Like, oh, I believe in women in ministry. My denomination has ordained women since 1976. And yo, you don't believe and women pastors. You don't believe women are allowed to be elders or can preach, or you don't believe in the ordination of women. Man. And now in our in our country, right? It seems like it's two different religions. Well, we talk about the liberal progressive churches, and they do all that all that stuff and they vote democratic. Well, white evangelicals, they're racist. Right? And they vote for Trump. They're like those Antiochians over there. Oh, the Jerusalem church. They're so stodgy. Such rigid legalists. So conservative and fundamentalist. Right? And the Antioch, Antioch and Jerusalem dynamic 
has grown in our nation, right? And I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer because there are a lot of things that are non-negotiables for me in my study of scripture and, and in my walk with God. When I look at other Christians, they are just like, oh, I can't fellowship with that. But I think we're in a time where we need to start thinking about healing and crossing the divide and talking and not avoiding conflict by just separating, just not going to Thanksgiving dinner at all. But we need to actually engage and sit at the table together and eat together and have those conversations and listen. Listening is so hard to do. I struggle with it. If I have my opinion and that person across from me has a different opinion, I'm gonna work my best to get my idea across in order to change their mind. It's never gonna work that way. Only in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit-infused church, can we begin to um, be brothers and sisters in the midst of our differences, just like here. And the result of this, the Jerusalem Council and Paul and Barnabas having um, the commitment enough to come to the Jerusalem church to lay their case and submit to that authority is that people say, yeah, we think God is doing something among the Gentiles. Let's write a letter to them. Let's write a letter and say, hey, Circumcision, yeah, don't worry about that. But here's what's important to us, right? And I think we, as a church, need to be more open to the spirit and more flexible with what we hold on to um, in order for God to do a work in, in order for us to be in the same room. And, and John, John says, it's our unity, our reconciliation, our love for one another, which will be a witness to the earth, to the world. Because when people around us say, oh, there's that person, that person, that person, and they're together, even though they're from so different, What's holding them together? <laughs> they see Jesus Christ in our unity and love. But it takes hard work. It's not fake. You don't sweep things under the rug. But we really have to, at Renew, if we truly want to be that diverse church, you know, we pat ourselves on the back for being, we're, we're a multi-ethnic church. But in order to truly be, we have to roll up our sleeves and be willing to get messy, right? And this is the perfect time for that because COVID-19 has brought up the crap in all of us anyways. And we've seen um, the messiness of our society and injustices have been revealed even more than before. This presidency and this political division 
has shown people more and more like how different we are and how divided we are. And so now is the time for Christians to step into this mess and be a light and be salt and to point to Jesus and say, Jesus has the way for us. Let's pray, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the witness and testimony of the saints, the apostles, the church, the elders um, in Jerusalem and at Antioch in the book of Acts uh, to be an example, to be um, a cloud of witnesses to go before us and inform how we live together, how we do church together, give us more insight and wisdom and how that looks um, practically um, on the on the street when the rubber hits the road, and continue to shape us as people and as a community that reflects um, the beauty of your Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>